Welcome to Arab Talk 2022. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, happy 2022. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to be hearing about your Omicron update from your travels uh, overseas. We'll be talking about that. We want to wish our Arab Talk listeners and viewers a healthy and safe 2022. Uh, we have a lot to cover. We've had a little bit of a break because of holiday and Omicron and things like that. But we're back, and we're back for another exciting year of Arab Talk on tw- in 2022. We're very excited to be back uh, in the studio with everybody. We're still in the middle of a year two, Jamal, and another pandemic. And so one of the big things we'll be talking about today is year two pandemic going into year three, Omicron and the state of affairs. We're also going to be talking about, which I think is our lead story, Jamal, which in my mind is really disturbing, is the ongoing systematic and systemic ethnic cleansing that uh, the apartheid regime of Israel is currently, as we speak, exercising against indigenous Palestinian communities uh, throughout historic Palestine. I mean, it always happens this time of the year, as you and I you and I have been talking about for, for many, many years now. Every, you know, change of uh, administration or during a downtime, like an epidemic or during the holidays, the apartheid regime amps up its ethnic cleansing, land theft, especially. That's what we're going to talk about today is land theft. And uh, it's, again, a devastating time for Palestinians uh, in historic Palestine. And then we should just kind of year in review 2021, what's going to be happening in 2022. So let's kick it off, man. Welcome back. Thank you. And you're absolutely right, Jess. Israel or the Israeli leadership, they always think that uh, people have short-term memory and they are distracted. And they are distracted this this year with Omicron and everything else uh, that is going. So we know every few months they bomb Gaza or uh, they try to ethnically cleanse Palestinians from around Jerusalem, like the neighborhood we spoke about, Sheikh Jarrah. And now their newest target, and I wouldn't call it newest, it's not so new target, It's not is, new. is the Naqab Desert, uh, or right. they refer to it as the Negev Desert, is to try to get rid of the Palestinian Bedouins who lived there and roamed the land for centuries. Uh, just, centuries, yeah. Uh, under the pretext of forestation uh, project. This is the word they use. That they, they uh, Actually, it is funded by the, uh, the Jewish Fund, one of the uh, funders, and they've done that in, 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 in different places all around Palestine where they uh, plant trees. In, in the case outside, for example, Jerusalem, and that's why I say this forestation buzzword that they use does not sit pretty with Palestinians because they've heard that before. So now, you know, the, the, the Naqab is a desert uh, by and large, and you have uh, different uh, Bedouin communities and families who lived there forever, right? And 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 just right. think about they lived there when there were no borders, traveled throughout That's right. the Middle East. For years, Israel uh, has been trying to house them in in some sort of tenements, uh, in you know, settle them basically. These are nomadic tribes. They they've. Uh, you know, they don't want to settle in towns and cities. They've chosen the life of the desert. And so they've been trying always to force them to do that. And every few years we we, we right. hear or we see a flare up and they, they beat them, they arrest them, they attack them. And of course, Israel imposes uh, uh, recruitment. They recruit uh, their men to serve uh, in, in, in the military, which is, that's another Another uh, topic. So this time, under this pretext of forestation, they've been trying to displace this whole community, just and this whole tribe, uh, you know, and and saying that we we basically uh, we want to turn this. This is uh, uh, this is an area near the Al Atrash uh, Sawa intersection on Route 31. You know, just for people who are not familiar with that. 
They said that uh, they have a project of forestation, uh, the resumption of tree planting work by the Jewish National Fund. Right, right. Now, we've seen that work because why is it this forestation project? What they mean transferring some of the land into public parks. And we've yes. seen them around Jerusalem where uh, Lifta, for example, the entire exactly. ethnically cleansed uh, exactly. village of Lifta and others, many others, you see the old remnants. And what they do, I mean, here is the irony of it all just on top of, you know, pouring salt on the wound. In I don't know about what they're going to do in the Nakab, but in general around Jerusalem, they plant European imported imported <laughs> pine trees. Yeah, not I'm not kidding. Not, not, not even, even indigenous, indigenous not olive trees, not things that it's right. it's European imported pine trees. Which, by the way, if people follow the news, a couple of years ago, we had a big fire around Jerusalem. And that's where the fire happened when they had right. the drought. That was the first thing that went on fire. Because as you know, olive trees are very resilient, kind of like in compared to California, to our redwoods versus that's the right. regular regular trees. So so as soon, of course, uh, the community heard that, you know, Al-Atrash, in the Al-Atrash area, they've been demonstrating uh, and Israel been arresting them, uh, beating women and children, um, you know, causing a big, uh, you know, brouhaha in the Knesset because there were people who supported, we are the government, we do this. And of course, other uh, Palestinian Israeli representatives are against it. And so they've been uh, demonstrating with the, uh, with the, with the Bedouins. Well, Jamal, this is an old story. This is old wine in new bottles. And and the other angle which, you know, the apartheid regime is playing is, you know, this is under greenwashing their ethnic cleansing because what they want to say is that we're replanting. You know, this is part of that old kind of uh, crazy narrative of making the desert bloom again. So under the under the false guise of, greenwashing under the guise of forestation. The real goal here, of course, is this long plan to ethnically cleanse and remove these indigenous communities. As you say, Jamal, that have been there for centuries and centuries and centuries. But bad news for the apartheid regime, Jamal. You know, we've reported on this for many years now. Every time they try to uproot these Palestinian Bedouins, they come back and reestablish their presence on their land. And they will continue to do this. The unfortunate thing, the unfortunate thing here is that it's going to displace families, communities, children temporarily yet again. It's going to, you know, be a, a tremendous stress and trauma on these communities who repeatedly by the apartheid regime are forced to, you know, not be able to claim their rightful place on their land. And, you know, I can't, stop talking about the timing of this, Jamal. I'm really, you know, this is the typical Israeli ploy. Not only are they greenwashing, but they're doing it at a time when there's an epidemic of Omicron, which we should talk a little bit about the apartheid regime's response to that. There's all these other things going on in the world, the, you know, that the United States and other uh, allies to uh, the United States have their mind on, whether it's Ukraine or Russia or Omicron, whatever. And they've taken their eye off the ball of repeated Israeli attacks on indigenous communities. By the way, and I have to say this, I'm so sorry to say this. This reminded me of one of the, as long as we're speaking of Israeli uh, ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, truly one of the amazing uh, voices of justice for Palestine and for all displaced and oppressed people in the world is the beloved uh, Desmond Tutu, Bishop Desmond Tutu. He passed away while, while we were taking our little break from Arab talk. Unequivocally throughout the world, whether wherever you were on the political spectrum, uh, he was universally celebrated by the left, the right, the middle, uh, and justifiably so. Yeah, the devout, the non-devout. He is universally loved in the world, 
except in one place, Jamal. And with the I'll entire, have to say, I'll have to say one place plus one. One place plus one, yeah. The one or place, someone who speaks on behalf of this one this place, one which place. is Israel, which so, is Alan Dershowitz. Yeah, exactly, Jamal. <laughs> that's my point. So at a time when the entire world, from Obama to Angela Merkel to people throughout the African continent, were celebrating Desmond Tutu, uh, you had this one voice, among others in the apartheid regime, Alan Dershowitz, having the audacity within a time of mourning the loss of this great man, calling Desmond Tutu a historic anti-Semite and, and, and kind of denigrating this, this truly heroic man committed to justice. I just, it just pained me to, even though I know uh, Dershowitz, this is his MO. I mean, he, he, he is plagued by immorality. This is the same guy who allegedly was on these junkets with underage uh, teenage girls with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. And, and defend- uh, I just I have to defend him. He says that he kept his underwear on. Yes, he kept his underwear <laughs> on, of course. That's and what he, he defended he defended When he Donald was getting Tr- his massages, by the way. Right, and he was defending Donald Trump at a time when Donald Trump was being universally condemned for his, uh, and, and impeached. And uh, Dershowitz was one of Trump's uh, steadfast defenders. So here we have this defender of Epstein, this defender of Donald Trump, defender of the apartheid regime of Israel, denigrating a heroic figure like Bishop Desmond Tutu. Even while the body was still warm, Jamal, after uh, Desmond Tutu's passing, you had Alan Dershowitz writing and calling him a historic anti-Semite. And we're going to come back to that because there's been more examples of that. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show today. With well, other well on, 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 on the same topic, Jess, we might as well talk about uh, what Emma happened Thompson? to... Exactly, yeah. yeah. So uh, here is uh, a very uh, famous uh, actor, best known for playing uh, Hermione Granger in the Harry Potter franchise. Right was accused, the same thing, of anti-Semitism after she posted an image on Instagram showing a photograph of a pro-Palestinian protest with the banner, Solidarity is a Verb, written across it, right? Yeah, that's, and that's her message, Jamal. Solidarity yeah. is a verb. Yeah. That was her message. That was her message. And, and uh, she, of course, uh, came under immediate attack uh, initially, by the by Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, uh, or I'm sorry, first by Danny Dannon, uh, the former science minister in Benjamin Netanyahu's government and Israeli right. ambassador to the United Nations, who said 10 points of Greifinder for being an anti-Semite. Then uh, Israel's current, of course, ambassador to the UN, Gilad Erdan, said, Fiction may work in Harry Potter, but it does not work in reality. I want to know whose reality he's, he's talking about. This is what he's saying. Fiction may work in Harry. In other words, he lives in his reality is that apartheid does not exist in Israel. Right. When Israel was uh, named right. as an apartheid state by Human Rights Watch and by its own human rights organization, Beth Salem. So, so who's... Who's fiction? He's, he lives in fiction, really. Right, but but I think it's important. Emma Watson, uh, Jamal, is one of the most talented, beloved uh, actors in the world today. I mean, she's just an extraordinary actor. And what's interesting, after she made this post on Instagram, and it's important for our viewers and listeners to understand, she had a quote from an intersectional feminist, you know, solidarity right. is a verb, is from an intersectional uh, uh, feminist activist, and uh, uh, a photo of Palestinian, uh, you know, basically a protest involving uh, Palestinians and Palestinian supporters. So she got vilified by the typical suspects, the Hasbara attack which was, if you read the attacks, they're completely ridiculous, of course. They have nothing to do with the reality of what she was trying to say. And they demean the memory of those who actually suffered. Exactly. 
during horrible the Holocaust and because of horrible anti-Semitism that you just, you know, but throw that word on anyone who criticizes Israeli atrocities. Right. But here's interesting. When people get accused of anti-Semitism, I mean, of course, uh, moral shame again on Alan Dershowitz for criticizing a person who's deceased. But in this case, with Emma Watson, it's very different, Jamal, because the in, the in, the Hollywood community came out in support of her statement and support of her and support of her solidarity with Palestine, Palestinians and Palestinian self-determination. She has been, I mean, of course, the, we say this, Jamal, the apartheid regime never misses an opportunity to shoot itself in the foot. So they gave more airtime to the statement. It brought out more support for Palestinian self-determination and human rights and has called out the apartheid regime even more. So there's a silver lining here because now you have the entirety of the Hollywood community and maybe not well, everybody. And also, uh, I mean, we should mention major uh, figures in the Hollywood community from major figures from the world of film, including Susan Sarandon, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Peter Capaldi, and Charles Dance. They all issued a statement in support of Emma Watson and Palestinian solidarity. And uh, I should just say here that uh, in a letter, there was the letter that submitted by these artists, by these artists, uh, they, I'm just quoting some of its, its uh, wording here, standing together for Palestinian rights, more than 40 named people, including the ones I named, including also adding to that Gail Garcia, Bernal, uh, Jim Jarmusch, Maxine Peak, you know, bunch of whole name. We join Emma Watson in support of the simple statement that solidarity is a verb, including meaningful solidarity with Palestinian struggle for their human rights under international law. Citing a report by Human Rights Watch claiming Israel is committing the crimes of apartheid and persecution, the artists, including Watson's uh, Harry Potter co-stars Miriam Margol and Julie Christie, continued, we recognize the underlying power imbalance between Israel, the, the occupying power, and the Palestinians, the people under a system of military occupation and apartheid. We stand against ongoing Israeli attempts to forcibly display Palestinian families from their homes in East Jerusalem neighborhoods of Sheikh Jarrah, Silwan, and elsewhere in the occupied Palestinian territory. That's pretty strong, Jess. No, that's a strong statement. That's why, Jamal, this is what I say to uh, all of the uh, Israeli husbands who attacked Emma Watson, who attacked Desmond Tutu, keep bringing it on. Keep attacking these heroic figures, whether they're alive or have passed on. They, the level of your immorality to condemn these people just brings more oxygen and more light to the darkness of Israeli apartheid and oppression. And, you know, when we talk about 2022, Jamal, I think one of the things we have to talk about is the fact that the international community pulling together you know, with you know, uh, uh, with the likes of Emma Watson and the memory of Desmond Tutu, the the calling out of the Israeli aggression and apartheid will only increase. And I think this is going to be an extraordinary year, 2022, for the BDS movement, for Palestine solidarity. So um, keep making these outrageous statements. They can't contain themselves, Jamal. That's what's so beautiful about this. People make these, you know, we we know that these are strong statements, but they are not outrageous statements to say solidarity is a verb. It's not outrageous to say that. It's not anti-Semitic to say that. It's not anything to say other than we commit ourselves to human rights and self-determination, not just for Palestinians, but for all oppressed people. And if the apartheid leaders want to attack that, you know what I say? Bring it on. You're just going to call more attention to the ethnic cleansing that you're doing and to your apartheid practices. So I think it's I think it's great. I think it's a win. It's a definitely a win-win. Anytime someone of this stature, like Emma Watson, uh, is able to make a statement like that, and we hear these ridiculous comments of anti-Semitism coming out from the Hasbaristas, it's um, bring it on. What can I say, Jamal? 
Well, uh, here's the thing, Jess. They're also aware, I mean, you know, aside from their ridiculous attempts to to shine and to uh, whitewash and the greenwash and pinkwash, <laughs> they, know, they know that they are not making any headway. That's why it is a priority. This is right. something that was actually published in Haaretz based on the... Uh, the cabinet that 2022, because we're talking about what's going to be coming ahead in, in 2022, that it is a priority for them to fight the label of apartheid. This is uh, this is this is yeah, which you know that this is a priority for the, Israeli, for the Israeli government to fight uh, the label of apartheid because they think that's going to be an uptick. Uh, of labeling Israel as an... I, I don't know what, the, what you mean labeling. I mean, you're talking about human rights organizations like Human Rights Watch and their own findings, uh, their own human rights organization. But that somehow they think that there is, you know, a campaign to pin the word apartheid on Israel. Like, you know, again, this is the part of uh, burying their head in the sand, their heads in the sands, uh, just... And, and so they're putting a lot of effort and a lot of finances, and there was a meeting that uh, happened between, of course, the Israeli ambassador, etc., with APEC here to counter it in, uh, you know, the, the country that that uh, they count they count it as the most important country which is the united states so this is when we're talking about I, it, this is what's going to be happening i think it's great jamal they're going to do the sheldon edelson thing they're going to dump billions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars into this campaign and the only thing that it will do is show more people how immoral illegal the apartheid regime of, of Israel is. It's just going to bring more light to the darkness that the Israeli regime uh, is bringing to the region. And I say, great, you want to spend your money on bringing more light to uh, you know your apartheid practices? Bring it on. Because there's no counter, Jamal. If you call Desmond Tutu and Emma Watson anti-Semites, you've got nothing else. You've got nothing else in your quiver, right? You've got nothing else to say. You, you, there's nothing else you can bring to the table but to call uh, Desmond Tutu among the most beloved and revered people on the planet. To call him an anti-Semite means that you reach the depths of despair and immorality that only an, only an apologist for an apartheid would, would make, Jamal. So... I'm glad that they're going to be wasting their money on and, it. And and these are and these are desperate times for for the desperate Israeli government, because I, like you've mentioned, no matter what they do, the truth comes out. Okay, so so they can try to attack BDS, they can try to attack um, you know different uh, f celebrities for calling Israel for what it is, but they cannot even answer to their own media and their own things, archives and whatever that is being released. I don't know if, uh, again, to remind our <laughs> listeners, just early this year, just a technical error on Israel State Archive uh, website has revealed that a prominent Israeli politician said in 1948 that he could forgive instances of rape committed against a Palestinian woman in violence that preceded the founding of the Israeli state. Of course, that media is, is Haaretz. And so now, because of a technical error, all the hidden, the hidden facts that Israel tries to keep came out in detail, detailing how the, uh, uh, the Zionists at the time, before the establishment of Israel, had what Palestinians have been talking about for ages and, and how his, what historians have been talking about, like Ilan Pape, et cetera, had a plan to ethnically cleanse and, 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 of and, course. and, and Palestinians. But this is, again, this is their own archive. This is their own archive, Jess, you know? Well, well, Jamal, I think, you know, that's why, and I know this sounds... I'm not sure how it comes across in light of everything that's happening in the world right now. But I I know that 
what Palestinians are facing now is formidable when it comes to so many things, including the the ethnic cleansing, the theft of land, the occupation. But I remain so optimistic because, you know, and you've heard me say this, when you're running a marathon, because this is not a sprint, but when you're running a marathon and overcoming Israeli apartheid is a marathon, I do believe that 2022 is going to be a really important year for that race because it started off with Desmond Tutu, you know, uh, bless his soul, you know, really for everything. he's He did this in the 90s, Jamal, when it wasn't popular to support Palestine and people like Emma Watson. This is just going to flourish in 2022 with support of BDS and confronting the apartheid practices. So as long as we're talking about 2022, I think that this is going to be yet another important year for Palestine solidarity. I don't think, however, it's going to be a good year for Palestinians living on the ground in Gaza and the West Bank or those Palestinians living in 48. And I say this because is Israeli medical apartheid continues to be practiced, Jamal. And so when and you know, we're the only ones really talking about this, but when the Israelis are celebrated for their vaccination plan, they're they're leaving out 50% of the data. Mm-hmm. So when they talk about 80% of the people or 85% of the people being vaccinated, they're leaving out 50% of the population because uh, it's simply not true that that many people are vaccinated because Israel continues to practice medical apartheid because it continues to fail at distributing the vaccines equitably across all sectors of Palestinian society. And Palestinians continue to be second and third class citizens when it comes to access to vaccines, as well as what's happening with Delta and Omicron and the COVID, uh, the COVID pandemic. So, um, But then again, uh, they're in, de- in denial about this and and. I want us to talk about it, but first, quickly, Jess. Yes. I want to. I want to read about these documents quickly because. Yeah, yeah. In the documents, the documents reveal that the founder of Israel, David Ben Gurion, the man who became the first prime minister, right, said that, and this is I'm quoting here in the same meetings that some Palestinian villages must be wiped out because they constitute a great danger to the future state. So again, this is their own words, their own archives. And that's why I think what you're saying, you are a big believer that the truth will prevail, eventually will prevail. And they've been trying to hide the truth for ages. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, right, Jamal, because what happens is that light is the best disinfectant against lies and attempts to hide the truth. And the Israelis have been operating by not wanting to shine a light on the truth, by by keeping the truth uh, away from any disinfectant. And so that's why I think 2022 is very important, because the archives, the so-called technical errors are coming out. More and more people will be joining the BDS movement. There is a groundswell of support uh, uh, for Palestine solidarity uh, across the world. And, you know, we talked about this in the political context. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's having a bad year, you know, even worse than Donald Trump, I would say. Benjamin Netanyahu is getting his political butt kicked in a big way. He is dropped away from the scenes of the political uh, establishment in the apartheid regime, and he's facing a lot of legal trouble, as we know. But the Israelis, including Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israelis, were the only ones supporting Donald Trump internationally, Jamal. And and we we find that Israel stands at the fringe of supporting the most oppressive regimes in the world, stands at the fringe of celebrating apartheid and oppression, and it, as the light gets shine on, shown on them again this year, it will continue to erode. And, you know, they're going to continue to throw money away by, and here's their tactic, Jamal, you know this tactic. They're just going to call everybody an anti-Semite. So the entire world will become anti-Semitic 
and they'll use that to justify the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. So this is going to be a very important year, 2022. And I think we're seeing the beginning of it. Desmond Tutu, Emma Watson, and we're bound to see this this growing in 2022. But remember, I say that in the context of it's going to be a very tough year for Palestinians on the ground. More land will be stolen. More Palestinian children and women will be killed, will be imprisoned, will be tortured. Uh, You know, there'll be more land theft, as we know. There'll be more bombings in Gaza. So this is the pretext that the Israelis will use to continue their campaign. So it's it's going to be a good year and a bad year at the same time. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. On the same topic, just we started talking about the Omicron and COVID and the medical apartheid because we were talking about medical apartheid way before, if you remember. A year ago, Jamal, a year, year and a half ago. ago. We talk, yeah. were talking about it. And recently, uh, I mean, Israel has been receiving all the accolades and praises uh, that it's uh, got everything under control and it's the experimental uh, playground for whatever, uh, Pfizer, et cetera, vaccines. And uh, they've had put, they put restrictions to travel on countries, including the United States, because the United States is a red country. And uh, and ex- with the exception, which, by the way, we've talked about that, unless you are, uh, you're Jewish, you could enter, Palestinians, you cannot, and others. So we've talked about that as far as apartheid. But recently now, guess what? They removed that restriction because they are a red country. They themselves. are a red country. Yeah. And, well, and, that, and, that's and so the now thing, the restriction Jamal. has been removed because with all, you know, what's happening there... Omicron, the spread of Omicron and COVID has not stopped. Well, the reason it hasn't stopped, Jamal, and let me just let our listeners and viewers know, there are a lot of reasons that go into that. But there are 30 countries in the world where the infection rate is below 10%. In California today, where we're broadcasting, it's 23 to 24%, which puts you into the red category. So despite the Israeli claim, and I will say a claim because it hasn't been empirically proven or justified yet, claim of being this model of vaccination, the reason the Israeli apartheid regime is now a red state is because a red uh, country is because they haven't vaccinated the people they said they vaccinated. And as I said earlier in the show, They want to claim an 80, 85% vaccination rate. But if you include everybody between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea, less than 50% of people are vaccinated. So if you look at at the reality of the situation, because guess what, Jamal? Omicron does not understand the apartheid wall. It doesn't understand borders. It doesn't understand soldiers with guns and tanks. It didn't work because the apartheid regime failed to vaccinate over 50% of the people living in historic Palestine. That's the real story. That's why it's back in the red zone. And that's why they will never, ever get this under control. So that's the consequence of medical apartheid in the apartheid state. That's right. And uh, you're talking about more than 600,000 Israeli settlers uh, living in in the West Bank. Alone. Correct. This is this is in the heart of the West Bank, exactly. where Palestinians have a very very low vaccination. I think recently they received some shipments from China and from Russia, but uh, nothing near what Israel is Israel has received. You know, in terms of Pfizer. Right. So so I, I, <laughs> you know you have six hundred thousand plus settlers. And these settlers on a daily basis travel from the West Bank into Tel Aviv and into the heart of Jerusalem, etc. Every day, every and then, day. And then Palestinians have to go through checkpoints manned by Israeli soldiers. And they are always uh, 
arresting young Palestinians, chasing after them. So as you said, you know, I mean, that apartheid wall that they've built is not going to stop the, the uh, Omicron. And, and there is no real separation. I mean, there is political separation, but not separation in the population well, because but, the proximity. Right. Uh, but Mike, why, why isn't this being picked? This is your area of expertise, Jamal, you know, in terms of media coverage. Uh, no one is really reporting on the failure of the apartheid state, the Israeli state, the failure of them to get Omicron under control for medical apartheid. They're because just, the numbers, are, as you said, they are deceiving. When you are talking about Israel, if you're talking about the six and a half million Jewish Israelis or, you know, that's one story. Or if you want to talk about everyone who lives on the land that Israel really controls, regardless, don't tell me about Ramallah under the Palestinian Authority, wherever they're in control of the land, historic Palestine between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, maybe with the exception from exterior of Gaza, you know, because Gazans are, aren't allowed to, to travel. But, but Jamal, it's even worse than that. That's absolutely right. But listen, the Israelis denied Pfizer sending. They wouldn't allow Pfizer to send vaccines not only, to the. Yeah, not only this, but remember when they had expiring fa uh, Pfizer vaccines, they wanted to they wanted send it to, to the send those to the Palestinians and get new ones in in return. By the way, Israelis now are receiving their fourth shot. Well, here's yeah, the thing that's interesting about that. I, and, I mean, I don't, and still I, they have a problem. Right, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds about this from a science point of view, but um, even even scientists in the United States, which have typically given a lot of uh, deference to the Israeli statistics, which I found really problematic, are saying, "Hey, we're not close to a fourth. There's the data that the, the Israelis are showing do not support at all the idea of giving a fourth uh, uh, booster shot. In fact, there's some evidence to suggest, Jamal, and we need to be careful about this, that a fourth booster shot may actually not be helpful for people and may actually work against you. So you can overboost. You can yeah. over over jack up your immune system. You will weaken it. Right? Yeah. Well, well, to make it more compromised to the point that you might make you more vulnerable to uh, to uh, to being infected. So uh, the Israelis are operating in a science world that is not governed by the rules of science that we have in the United States and in Europe and in other parts of the world. So the Israelis are what I call cowboy medicine and cowboy science. You know, they, they're they telling people, you know, get a fourth booster. But the evidence for it, Jamal, is really not that good. And by the way, while they're giving some Israeli citizens a fourth booster shot, again, you have large percentages of Palestinians who have not received any vaccine. Exactly, so what, they haven't received so, any so what does it tell you that some people, that's what apartheid is, when one group is privileged over another who share the same land. And uh, so you have Israelis who are getting a fourth booster and Palestinians who aren't getting access to any. If, if that's not immoral in apartheid medicine, I don't know what is. But, you know, and I said this last year, Jamal, the Israelis aren't very bright, they're just not that bright. They think that they could stop the Omicron or Delta or whatever virus and just keep their little, their little island uh, protected from, from the COVID uh, pandemic, and they're completely wrong. Even with they, they they give actually, them you mentioned something. It crossed my mind because Israel uh, historically has maintained a garrison state. That's the mentality right. that the Israelis have. And perhaps what you're alluding to, they want to create a garrison state against COVID. They and can't. that's not working. You see, because they think they can create a garrison state and with, with American technology and weapons, they can protect their population. And they're using the same mentality with COVID. Yes. And guess what? Breaking news. It doesn't work. And it won't work. And in fact, because they're now giving a fourth... But the problem is, is that this is cowboy science and medicine. It's going to work against them. They may over-vaccinate one part of the population, but you're leaving over 50% of the population with no vaccines. It will continue to spread and mutate. And as I predicted, this is one of my predictions from 2021 that came true, uh, 
the Israeli regime is not able to avoid the COVID pandemic. In fact, it may become one of the worst places on the planet because of their failure to vaccinate enough people. So we'll be we'll be following that story very closely, Jamal, because it's unlikely that the pandemic because of Omicron is going to go away anytime soon. I mean, the idea is that we go from a pandemic to an endemic. And what that means is when you're in a pandemic, you want to do everything you can to vaccinate people, uh, mask up and prevent from being vaccinated. And endemic means you've got it somewhat under control and you just kind of live with it with, you know, basic mitigation. Like, like fluenza is endemic, right? The flu. Like, like flu, exactly. Like the cold, like the common cold, every, all of those things. I, I want to, on this topic, I want to move us locally here to the yeah, States yeah. because as you know, uh, I've been traveling and I'm really like surprised that the issue, you know, talking about uh, testing, I keep, you know, uh, monitoring the news, monitoring the news, every single news report. There is a whole segment about testing. Biden saying every home is going to receive their testing kits in I don't know how many days and so forth. And then I come here, you go to the local pharmacy, can't find, and it. they have a, they have a big sign at the local pharmacy, and I'm not going to name them just to be uh, kind, saying we don't have the test, whatever. Don't even ask. That's what they have. <laughs> don't even. I mean, I was like, what? Don't even, and the reason I, I, I went to do that, because as you know, I traveled from overseas. I was tested before I boarded the plane, 24 hours. Thank God I was negative, boarded the plane, came here and I said, okay, well now I had this 18 hours flying, uh, long flight to, to, you know, from Europe to DC and, to, and from DC to here. I should test myself just in yeah, case. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't find I couldn't find a testing and kit. And Jamal, you won't find it. And and this is an example of a complete failure of the United States. So so my yeah. when 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 I when I boarded before I boarded the plane, I boarded it from Charles de Gaulle in Paris, uh, just and the United States requires that you produce a negative test, either a PCR or an antigen test, twenty four hours. I had twenty four hours. It took me no time. I walked out of my hotel exactly half a block. There was a <laughs> pharmacy, and the pharmacy had a tent. And guess what? Because I, I wanted to make sure that th this was available. Every single block had the same story. A pharmacy with a, with a white tent outside with th three health employees. If you are a French citizen, you just tell them, I guess, your social security card. You get the test for free. If you are a foreigner, you pay for it. 30 euros, you get your results, yeah. preliminary preliminary results in 15 minutes. And that, by the way, Jamal, that's what most of Europe is doing. That's and the most... full results, you get them under an hour, a PDF file, and you upload exactly. it to the airlines, and they can tell you you are travel ready or not. So I returned here. I went to my local pharmacy, not one, two. They don't have it. You won't find it, Jamal. And you won't find it because our response, and, and you know, we are equal opportunity critics of any of any party, Democrat, Republican, middle, left, right, left, it doesn't matter to us. And I will say clearly and unequivocally that the Biden administration has failed from a public health standpoint on their COVID response. Uh, they failed to be clear on their messaging. They failed to be clear on getting enough, uh, t uh, you know, testing out. Uh, they failed on the policies of allowing people to either go back to work or no go, not go back to work. They failed on the policies of, you know, different masks to wear. The the even the Supreme Court has failed this country, and we still, if you can believe it, Jamal, only sixty two percent of people in this country have been vaccinated. And that's only with two shots. I'm not talking I mean, don't about you think boosted. it's embarrassing to ask people who are traveling to the United States that they need to produce test results within 24 hours when in our own country we cannot get that? 
Well, that's what's happening, Jamal. People who are in this country who want to travel back to their to their country of origin or citizens who want to go and travel can't find the test to leave. So a lot of people are actually are actually stuck in the United States because they can't find a way within that 24-hour window to get tested. It's an embarrassment, Jamal. And I, I'll say that even though the Biden administration starting this Wednesday, you'll be able to go online and order the self-test, the antigen test, and have it sent to you. It won't even be sent to you for two weeks. By two weeks, Jamal, we most likely will have been peaked. By that time, most likely it'll be too late. And just- I, 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 I should just tell our uh, listeners and, and viewers that I feel just all right, but even with that, I'm um, self-quarantining, so I'm not going out here, there, wherever, to make sure for the next week. You should. I think that, but, but be, you're, be, you know, because just, but you're responsible, but you're a responsible and I, person. And, and I can't get a test, so I'm just doing my own kind of so, <laughs> scientific uh, 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 answer to this is like, make sure like you're okay for a week before you even get come in contact with anyone else. But but we shouldn't have to live like this. There There's so many things wrong with the American response and with the Biden administration. And I've said this for two years now, Jamal. The fact that for almost 40% of Americans only have two shots, not even fully, less than 20% or around 20% have been boosted, means that our ability to go from pandemic to endemic is going to be extended. Right now, as we speak, Jamal, the average daily rate for the last seven days of infections in the United States is 820,000 people. 2,000 people a day are dying every day in the United States from COVID. There's Part no- of our prediction, I'm not going to even ask you this. So 2022, we're going to keep talking about COVID. It's not going to go away. We're not it's going to not. be out of the pandemic era. I don't, I, don't, I don't see that we're going to go to pandemic to endemic within the first six months, Jamal, just by the fact that it continues to be politically divided between you still have uh, – you still have, you know, extreme Republicans and even mainstream Republicans who are not vaccinated, who don't believe in it, who don't believe COVID is a big deal. We're going to continue to fall well below that 80% that we need for fully vaccinated population to move closer from pandemic to endemic. The only way we'll truly get to endemic is if we get closer to that 80% of people who are fully vaccinated. Well, what I, if everyone who is not uh, fully vaccinated gets uh, Omicron? And and so how will that change? Well, here's the things? thing. This is the thing that's interesting. People, again, this is part of the right-wing propaganda, think that the best way to protect yourself is just to get Omicron and then you're protected. Well, all the data is showing that you can be multiply in, uh, infected. You can be infected more than one time. You can get sick more than one time. And here's the other bad news. If you get infected the like when you're unvaccinated, the likelihood of it mutating and then you giving it to somebody else increases dramatically. So the idea that somehow everybody's going to get it and we'll get to herd immunity is not a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination. Most people that I talk to, and you know, I, I because I, I work at UCSF and I have contact with some of the best scientists in the world on this stuff, most, I'll say many, if not most people, are have pretty dark, uh, gloomy predictions about the next uh, three to four months, Jamal. I'm not optimistic about it at all. Well, uh, I know you have never been, and but I've been seeing the results with my own eyes. And I have to say, even though I was, uh, you know, part of my trip, you know, in Europe and, and in France, and, and it's also spreading there, as you know, it's spreading all over the world. But somehow I felt more secure of course because they had a system and the system is of course a, you can get tested b you cannot enter anywhere without showing the past sanitaire and you have to get it from the you know the french government right. you cannot ride a train right. you cannot go to a museum you cannot go to a restaurant and everybody abided by this and starting today january basically in mid mid-january 
the government uh, has is changing the past sanitaire to to I guess past uh, vaccinaire, where you have to show that you have the three shots, the two shots and the booster, to maintain that status. So at but, least, but, I felt but, they have had the system in place here. Every day there is something new, you know. Well, there's something new. There's not a consistent policy. You don't have access to testing, and you have this crazy, crazy segment of our population that doesn't believe in science, Jamal, that still believes that uh, it's not a big deal. Do you, I, and I can't even tell you how devastating it is to hear from my colleagues who tell me that the number of children that are being hospitalized and dying right now is like two to 300 percent greater than it was last year during Delta. So Omicron is infecting more children. Large numbers of children are being are infected and are getting sick. So, you know, this idea in this country that, uh, well, we think we know better than science and, you know, we believe Joe Rogan and, and Ron DeSantis, but we're not going to believe Tony Fauci, that crazy mentality in this country that we have because it's so politically divided means that um, we're, we're, more kids are going to get sick, more kids are going to die, and that our ability to get to the endemic side of this is going to take a lot longer. So, And the longer we wait, the greater probability that there is of a new variant coming out. And if a new variant comes out, there's no guarantee that it'll be less harmful than, than Omicron. So I I'm not optimistic, but I think like, I mean, in a very selfish way, Jamal, where we live in Northern California, we'll probably do a little bit better than the rest of the country because our vaccination rates are so high. But let's not fool ourselves. I mean, you know, San Francisco and the hospitals in the greater Bay Area are really struggling right now. Why are they struggling? There may be enough beds, but so many doctors and nurses are sick right now. We don't have the staff to actually help people. So I'm glad you're at home because this is not a time to get into a car accident. It's not a time to get sick. It's oh. not a time to have a heart attack. This is not a good time because if you need health care now, even in the Bay Area, uh, it's you're not going to get the care that you really need or deserve. We have a, a couple of minutes left, Jess. How badly is this going to reflect on the midterm elections for the Democrats? Well, we'll talk about this next week, Jamal, but I have bad news in terms of my predictions for 2022. The Democrats are going to lose the House and they're going to lose the Senate in 2022. That's my prediction for this year. Will will the Biden agenda is already sunk? But it's I don't know what's worse than getting sunk, but Biden is is going to be essentially a lame duck for 2 years. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, Y'all got to get ready for Donald Trump 2.0. I'm just saying, y'all got to get ready for Donald Trump 2.0 because in 2004, there's a greater than 50-50 chance that Donald Trump is going to be your president again. So I, this is the dark part of the predictions. But I could say with pretty pretty good confidence that the Democrats are going to lose the House and the Senate. I'm pretty confident about that. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest episodes. And we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week and Happy New Year.